Welcome everyone to the vineyard. You may have a seat. My name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here. It is so good to be with you all today. And before I jump in, I just wanted to briefly highlight again the Come Holy Spirit conference that is going to be happening this coming weekend. This coming weekend. And, and so just to let you know, none of the talks build on each other. There's going to be four different talks on Friday night and on Saturday at 9 a.m., two talks, and then Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m., but none of them build off each other. So if you can't make it to the entire conference, you can't be here Friday or can't be here Saturday afternoon, you don't have to worry that you're going to be missing anything or, or coming unprepared. And so if there's any opportunity you have next weekend to be at, at part, if not all, of the conference, I would really, really encourage you to be here. You know, there, there's just not a lot of space, or not a lot of opportunities, rather, that we have to to just create space for, for the Spirit to come and to, to move like we have at a conference. And so this is just an opportunity that you just would not want to miss. I said this a few weeks ago. I said, you know, when the Spirit of God falls in the room, I, I want to be there. I, I want to be there. I want to be present. And so I, I would really encourage you to come on, on Friday and Saturday. And, and whether you can come or not, I, I would also really encourage you to be praying this next week. Would you make a commitment to be praying that that the Spirit of God would be present next Friday and Saturday, that freedom would be here, that joy would be here, that the church would be equipped and encouraged by the Spirit of God. So that, again, that's this coming week, and, and I, I'm just really excited for what the Lord's going to do. All right, well, let me jump in. We're currently in the middle of a series, as, as Pastor Chase just said, called Sequels. And over the course of this series, we're looking at men and women from the Bible whose lives have, have taken a sudden shift, either for better or for worse. Men and women who suddenly found themselves in a new story, in a, a sequel, as it were. And we're leaning into the series because we, we believe that God wants to bring some sequels to some of us here at the vineyards. Your life might be heading in one direction, might be heading down one path, and yet we believe in a God who is infinitely capable, infinitely capable of breaking in and inviting us into a new story, inviting us into our own sequel. And today, as we continue our series, we're going to be looking at a man from the Old Testament named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jewish man who lived in exile in the city of Susa, and he was the cupbearer to the Persian king. And so he was in charge of providing the drinks for the king and all of his court, and, and occasionally he was asked to take a sip of the wine to make sure that it was not poisoned and that the king would be okay. But Nehemiah, he, he was more than simply a butler. As the king's cupbearer, he had access to the king. He was, he was continually at his right hand. He had influence, and as a cupbearer, he was in a position of real prominence. He, he would have been considered part of the elite. The, the role of cupbearer was the, was the cushiest of cushy jobs, uh, unless, of course, you did something to, to provoke the king's anger. But Nehemiah, despite all of his privilege and all of his comfort, decided to leave it all behind and travel to Jerusalem a land that he had never been to, and a land that was surrounded by hostile neighbors in order to help rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and secure it from outside attack. And so the question that begs to be asked this morning is this, why would a man of prominence and influence leave behind his comfort and control to move to a city that he'd never set foot in? An attempt to build a wall around this dilapidated city, arousing the anger of the people groups surrounding him and, and possibly 
costing him his life? What was going on inside Nehemiah that caused him to jump into such an epic sequel? That's the question that we're going to be asking today. But before we jump in and and look at God's word, why don't we pray together? So would you pray with me, church? Father, I, I do believe that you have sequels for many of us in this church, good sequels, life-giving sequels, life-giving change. And I ask, God, that you would give us the faith, that you would give us the courage, you would give us the stamina to step into to whatever you have for us in this next season. You are a God, as I said, who is infinitely capable of breaking in and bringing us to a new story. And so I I pray that even as I speak today, you would give fresh hope and fresh courage and fresh dreams to those who listen. Would you put power on my words, Holy Spirit? Would you help me to to speak as I should? And would you help me to teach this text correctly? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so again, what, what would prompt Nehemiah to exchange the cushy existence of a cupbearer for a venture that was fraught with danger, that was fraught with uncertainty, and overwhelming odds. Well, here's, here's my first point. Number one, Nehemiah was willing to leave his cushy existence behind because he received a burden. He received his, a burden. That's my first point. Nehemiah received a burden. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and we'll have it on the screen for you. This is what we read. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So here's, here's the backstory of what's going on. In the year 587 BC, the Babylonians, they captured the city of Jerusalem and they, they exiled, they sent away many of the Jews who were living in and around Jerusalem. They sent them to Babylon. Fifty years later, these same Babylonians, they, they were conquered by the Persians. And the, the Persian king... King Cyrus allowed the Jews who so desired to return back to Jerusalem. And if you've read the book of Ezra before, then you've read about this this return of many of the Jews. Many from from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they they head back to Jerusalem. And if you've read the book of Ezra, you know that, that the people groups surrounding Jerusalem were not too happy that the Jews were coming back. Not too happy that the Jews were coming home. And so in in Ezra chapter 4, some of the leaders of this oppositional movement, they wrote a letter to the new king of the Persians, King Artaxerxes. And they said, look, if you check your records, you'll find that these Jews, they don't play nice with surrounding kingdoms. And if you allow them to rebuild Jerusalem, if you allow them to build the walls, they're going to be a thorn in your side. They, they are going to revolt against your rule, and you're going to have a massive problem on your hands. So King Artaxerxes ordered the Jews by force to stop all of their rebuilding efforts. That, that's Ezra chapter 4. That's what we read there. And, and this is the event that Nehemiah is learning about just a few years later in the city of Susa. So this goes down, King Artaxerxes says, I want you to stop building, 
I just want you to stop rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Nehemiah is working for him. He's the cupbearer to the king, and he doesn't even know about this decree. And so a few years later, there's some folks who travel to Susa from Jerusalem and say, look, the, the building project, it, it's, not, it's not being undertaken. It's, the walls aren't being built. The walls are still in shambles. And here's why this is so important. The, the great dream of the Jewish exiles was that God would allow them to return to their homeland to restore the city of Jerusalem so that God's people might live near God's presence in the temple once again. But in those days, a, a people could not inhabit a city that did not have walls. Without a wall, you were susceptible to an attack from neighbors at any time. And so without the walls, the dreams of restoring the people of God to the city of God so that they might live near the presence of God, his dream was dead, effectively dead. And so when Nehemiah receives this news, when he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are not being rebuilt, he loses it. He loses it. He, he sits down, the text says, and he weeps. He fasts and he prays for days before the God of heaven. Nehemiah, in other words, he, he receives a burden. He receives a burden. And a burden is simply an intense desire to see God's will done in a city or in a people or in a set of circumstances. Nehemiah, he, he received this, this burden to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. And this is what the Lord often does when he's bringing us into a new season, when he's bringing a sequel into our life. He gives us a burden for a people, for a justice issue, for a move of God, for a city. He, he breaks our hearts. A, a burden is called a burden for a reason. It, it sits heavy on us. It, it's weighty. It's not something we can simply dismiss. It just lingers with us. When, when the Lord just supernaturally places this burden for a people, for a cause, for an issue within your heart. So you might think about the amount of coworkers you have who don't know the Lord. And it just, just sits heavy on you. The day after day you go to work and, and you just think about the amount of coworkers in the cubicles around you or in the factory around you who aren't walking with the Lord. And it just breaks your heart. The Lord has given you a burden for your coworkers. You might find yourself continually thinking about the plight of the homeless in our city. Or, or you might look around at the apathy and the lethargy so prevalent in the church in the West, and you just can't get past it. You just can't look around it. It's, it's a burden that the Lord has given you. Friend, has the Lord burdened you with, with anything? With anything? Has he broken your heart for an issue or for a people or for an un? Just situation. Look, look, listen to me. We can't do everything, right? There are so many needs in this world. In just one 24-hour news cycle, we, we, we are just exposed to so many needs and so many issues and so many problems in this world. We can't do everything. But has the Lord given you a burden for, for anyone, for anything? Perhaps even today you might begin to pray, Father, would you, would you give me a burden? Would you give me a heart for something that's amiss in the world? I'm tired of just coasting. Some of us here today might say, you know, I'm just tired of doing church as normal. Just waking up and kind of shuffling into the service and singing a few songs and then heading home and seeing what's, what's for dinner. I'm just tired of coasting. 
God, would you give me a burden like you gave Nehemiah a burden? Would my life actually count for something? That's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord does. (laughs) Nehemiah had a burden, and secondly, Nehemiah took his burden to the Lord in prayer. Took his burden to the Lord in prayer. Let's read verse 4 again. This is what we read, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Listen, when, when a burden is given to us, either through one dramatic encounter with the Lord or through, through a series of events over an extended period of time, what we're experiencing is, is Jesus simply showing us his heart for a particular issue or people. It's him pulling back the curtain and, sh- and showing us, Here, here's how I view these people. Here's how I view this situation. Here's how I view this injustice. Here's my heart for the addicted. Here's my heart for single moms. Here's my heart for churches in Grove Cities. And, and often, quite honestly, it just floors us. If the Lord has ever just given you a little peek into his heart for people, just, it's easy to become undone. Because Jesus, as it turns out, he loves people, and he loves justice, and he loves reconciliation way more than we do. And and so on the front end of our our journey with a burden, we're we're just getting a peek into Jesus' heart. That's what's happening. he's, He's showing us, this is how I view the world. But as we begin to pray into this burden, as we begin to ask God to save our coworkers, as we begin to ask him to provide housing solutions for the homeless or to push back the the apathy in the church in the West, his burden slowly, ever so slowly, it it actually becomes our burden. His heart, his heart actually over time as we pray into it, it becomes our hearts. And so as we come to the Father and we ask and we ask and we ask him to fix what's amiss in this world, this burden, it just sinks down deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. It, it marks us. It changes us. Some of us here, I, I, I know, I know your story, that you, you have been marked, that there is an issue, that there is a people group that, that for the rest of your days, you're going to concern yourself with. You're going to be praying into. You're going to be pursuing because the Lord has just marked you. You know, I'll, I'll never forget it was five years ago uh, this month, actually. I was, at a, I was at a staff retreat day when I was on staff at another church, and, and I was praying, and, and the Holy Spirit just fell on me, just fell on me in a way that, that was altogether unique in, in my walk with the Lord, and I just began to sob uncontrollably. And, and as I sobbed uncontrollably, I, I was given just a a little piece of the Lord's heart for renewal and for his power to come in our day. The Lord just put in me this desire, this this intense longing to to see renewal, to see the Lord show up in power as he's shown up in days of old, to see revival, to see renewal in our church, in the West, in our day. And so for these past five years, I've just been praying and asking and asking and asking and asking, God, would you show up? Would you move in power? Would you... You come, Holy Spirit. And over five years as I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed, this desire, this longing, this burden, it's just, it's just wound its way further and further into my heart. That's what the Lord does when we take our burdens to him in prayer. 
And you know, friends, this is one of the reasons why prayer is just so hard. It's because the enemy, he absolutely understands this principle. Do you know that? Have you ever wondered why your best intentions to pray are just so often thwarted? Have you ever wondered why when you sit down to pray, you're, you're suddenly bombarded by the ten things that you should be doing in that moment? The enemy is going to do whatever he can to keep you from praying because when we don't take the burdens that the Lord has given us back to him in prayer, asking for his intervention, asking for him to move, the burden in our hearts, they just begin to fizzle, just begin to fade. The enemy, he does not have to work hard to cool the fire that's been placed in your heart. All he has to do is distract you. That's all he has to do is distract you. To preoccupy you with the the trivial and the mind-numbing distractions that are so common in our age. That's all he has to do. So we have to fight, we have to fight, we have to fight to pray to take our burdens to the Lord to steward them, to refine them, to cultivate them. So maybe in the past the Lord has placed a burden on your heart. You had a longing to see seniors cared for in the church, or a longing to see healthy public schools, or a desire to see people physically healed through prayer. And if you're honest, you've just just lost the fire. You've just lost the fire. You've lost the weightiness of the burden. It's still there. I mean, it's still something you care about, but the, the weight is just gone. And today might be a day where you might want to pray, Father, would you, would you break my heart once again? Would you restore the fire? Look, look, the Lord isn't, he isn't surprised by your lack of initiative. He, he's really not. The Lord, he, he sees all of your past. He sees all of your future. He knew that you were going to drop the ball. He, this was aware. This was something he was aware of. And he's ready. He's ready if you're ready to give you this burden once again. But if you're serious about receiving the burden once again, you need to know that you're going to have to steward this burden well. And this starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Why was Nehemiah willing to leave his cushy existence behind? Well, number one, Nehemiah received a burden. He received a burden. And number two, he took that burden to the Lord in prayer. And then lastly, here's my last point. Nehemiah allowed his burden to overrule his fear. He allowed his burden to overrule his fear. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So we've we've jumped just a bit ahead in the story, and as, as Nehemiah comes before the king, it's been four months since he first heard the news about Jerusalem. 
And he's been praying and mourning before the Lord. And now he's finally, he's just at the point of no return. He can no longer sit idly by while the city of Jerusalem lies in ruins. He has to ask the king to go to Jerusalem now to start up the rebuilding campaign, even if it means losing his cushy job, and even, quite frankly, if it means losing something far worse, even if it costs him his very life. Now, does this mean that Nehemiah has no fear? Of course not. Of course not. In verse 2, he clearly states, I was very much afraid. And that's probably an understatement there, right? I was very, very much afraid. Alan Scott is the, the pastor of the Anaheim Vineyard, and he said this. He said, being surrounded by fear is the price that we pay for growth. Being surrounded by fear, that's the price that we pay for growth. Fear is the price that we pray to see God's kingdom come. You want to see God's kingdom come in any significant way? You're going to have to become comfortable living with fear. That's just the reality. You want to do something, you want to make your mark, you want to live a significant life, you have to become accustomed and comfortable just living with fear. Just knowing that fear is going to perpetually probably surround you if you're pushing in, if you're pressing in, if you're stepping in to all that God has for you. And listen, the time to step out and act when the Lord gives you a burden, it's never convenient either. Have you never noticed that? The Lord never asks you to step out in faith when it's convenient. Wouldn't that be easy if that was the case? Only a few years earlier, King Artaxerxes, the, the one that the king that Nehemiah worked for, King Artaxerxes had commanded the rebuilding of Jerusalem to be stopped. He was the, the very king that had commanded this rebuilding project to be stopped. And so certainly asking him such a short while later, just a few years later, to do an about-face and to reverse his decision, this was not the most convenient timing. Certainly it would have been a lot, it would have been a lot easier had Nehemiah just waited a few years longer and then said, by the way, king, can, can, we, can we start this rebuilding project over again? But Nehemiah, he had just come to a place where he said, I, I just, I, I can't waste time any longer. He simply couldn't wait for a time of convenience. You know, friends, God never seems to ask us to step out when it's convenient. When Jesus stood on the water and he asked Peter to come to him, it wasn't a nice 70-degree balmy day. When Jesus asked Peter to step out of the boat, it was at night. It was at night and it was when the wind was high and the waves were rough. The timing is never going to be convenient. Do you know that? And if we're not careful, we will live our entire lives with a when-then mentality. When I finally get out of school, well then, fill in the blank, then I'll finally begin to pursue this burden, this longing that God has placed on my heart. When I finally get out of school, when the kids get just a little bit older, when the kids finally leave the house, when I'm 100% healthy, when I'm out of debt, when I finally retire, well, then I'm going to be engaged. Then I'm going to be stepping into the calling that God has for me. And we can live our entire lives with this when-then mentality. You can just keep pushing that can up the street for decades. But when the Lord gives us a burden, and we take that burden to the Lord in prayer, we come to a point where we say, I, I, just, I don't want to waste another minute. 
Just don't want to waste them another minute. This is the time, Father, that our family is going to meet with a foster care agency. This is the time when I'm going to start praying for people who are sick. And if I pray for 100 people who are sick and none of them get healed, I'm just going to start on my next 100 people. I've been ruined for anything less, Father. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see people healed. Now is the time. Now is the time. This is the time I'm going to start getting involved in the prisons. I've got the time, and the prisoners certainly got the time, so I better just buck up and do it. Tired of wasting moments, precious moments, when the Lord has given me this burden, when he's put this fire in my heart to help correct something in the world that is amiss. Here's here's what I want to do. Why Why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand I think this is officially the shortest sermon I ever preached. And uh, I'm starting to get fired up. I, I might have gone 30 minutes more, so it's probably good I stopped. And, and I, I wanted to create some space on the back end of our service. I, I was intentionally trying to be a little shorter, a little truncated today, because I, I did feel like, like we were just supposed to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to give some fresh burdens this morning, okay? And so I've been praying and asking God today as we we just take some time to wait on you, would you give some fresh burdens? Or or that some of us who who know that God has placed a burden on our heart, he's placed a, a segment of society on your heart, he's placed an issue on your heart, he's placed an injustice on your heart. But if you're honest, you just haven't been stewarding that burden well. And it's like it's still there, but it's kind of been tucked away in the when then category. And I feel like the Lord, he, he just really wants to, really wants to restore that fire today, wants to restore that, that hunger. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm just going to invite the, the Spirit of the Lord to come, and then we're, we're just going to wait. Just going to wait. You know, if you're comfortable, you can put out your, your hands in a posture of receptivity. You certainly don't have to. And I'm, I'm just going to encourage you, in your heart, in your heart, to to ask the Lord to give you a burden. To ask the Lord to break your heart for something that's amiss in the world. To ask the Lord to show you how He sees a situation, how He sees a problem in the world. But I'm going to warn you, don't don't ask Him to do this unless you really mean it. Because it is a burden. It is a weight. When we pray, Lord, I, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? It actually brings a broken heart. It's not particularly fun or romantic. It's hard. But it is altogether worth it to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to know that we are stepping into the calling and the purposes that he has for us. It's altogether worth it. And so now we're we're just going to wait for a few moments. For some of us, this is going to be a little bit painful to do nothing for a couple of minutes, but it's good for us. And so let's, let's invite the Lord. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now. Would you fall in this place, Holy Spirit? Would you fall in this place, Holy Spirit? And I ask that you would give fresh burden. 
fresh conviction, fresh desire to serve you. Come, Holy Spirit. having a sense right now, sorry to interrupt, but that uh, the Lord wants to do something as you begin to repent. That there's some of you here that you know the Lord has placed something in you, maybe years ago, that you've just, for whatever reason, been, been keeping at bay. And I, I believe that as you begin to repent in your own heart for just not stewarding that burden well, that the Lord is going to begin to to show up again. And so in your own heart, in your own place, would you, if that's you, would you just begin to just open up to the Lord? If you want to come forward, you can do that. But if, if, if the Lord is putting his finger on something and he said, I, I've given you a burden and it was just not stewarded well, would you begin to confess that to the Lord in your heart? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. sense too that, that for some of you as you're praying that you're saying to the Lord I, well, I don't know where to start I don't know what to do maybe maybe this is from the Lord but I don't know where to start and I, I feel like the Lord is saying to you in this moment just give me your yes you give him your yes and he'll, he'll position you in the right places you might not know the, the agency you should work with or you might not know where to start I feel like the Lord is saying just give me your yes and so if, if that's you would you as you pray would you just you just give the Lord your yes, your full, undivided yes. Come, Holy Spirit.
here's, here's what I'd like to do next. I, I do believe that the Lord is speaking to some of you. And, and if that's you right now, if you feel like the Lord has put his, his finger on, on something in your life, if the Lord is just, just really highlighting something, maybe, maybe a burden he's given you in the past, or maybe he's doing something afresh, would, would you just begin to, to come forward? I'm not going to call you out or make you sing a song or anything weird, but... But if there's anyone that you, you would just say, the, the Lord's doing something here, and I, I don't want to, I, I want to lean into whatever He's doing. Would you just begin to come forward? If the Lord is speaking to your heart about something, if He's asking you to give Him your yes, would you just begin to come forward? Even if you don't have it all figured out yet, even if you don't understand what this all means, sometimes just, just making yourself available is all we can do, right? If the Lord is putting his finger on something right now, would you just begin to come forward? Even if you can't clearly articulate it, that's fine. Now, here, here's what I'd like to do. I, I'd, like, I'd like for us to, to pray for these folks. So we're going to have our prayer team come up, and, and I'm going to ask you just to pray a really simple prayer, just to put your hand on their shoulder and say, more Lord. No complicated prayers. You, you, you don't have to, to give them their life story. If the Lord gives you anything else, that's great. But can we begin to have our, our prayer team come up here? We're going to need lots of people to come pray. Would you just put a hand on the shoulder? Would you say, more Lord, more of what you're doing. We bless what you're doing. Just a simple prayer. Just a simple prayer for more. We're going to need more people to come pray. have some folks begin to come and lay some hands just ask for more a few more folks I don't want to start naming names so Holy Spirit we, we just bless what you're doing right now in these in these little people's lives. We bless what you're doing throughout the room and we, we just give you permission. Whatever you want to do, whatever burden you want to lay on our hearts, whatever you want to ask us to step into, we just say yes, Father. We say yes. We ask for forgiveness for ways in which we've, we've held back your, your call. We ask for forgiveness in ways in which we've kept your, your call at bay. We just say yes. We just say yes. We say yes to whatever you have for us, even if it's inconvenient, even if it prompts fear in our heart. Even if it's not the, the five-year, the ten-year plan that we would have marked out for our lives, we say yes. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just continue to minister, that whatever you're doing in the, the lives of those who have come forward, that you, even right now, would just double it. Even right now, that you would just come in, in more power, with more clarity, with more conviction. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Those of you up front, we were just going to invite you to continue to receive some prayer. And for the rest of us, let's, let's close by singing one last song together.